This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. Well, as always, I you know I have fantastic guests and we are going all the way to the US of A. Memphis, Tennessee today, folks. Phil Robertson here on the Saving Brothers podcast with my brother from another mother, Robbie Yates. Welcome to the Saving Brothers podcast. Hey, I appreciate the time. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Robbie, uh, I actually had the honour, I will say, an absolute honour of being a guest on your podcast as well. And we're going to talk about your podcast because it goes all across the world. We are like little <laughs> juniors here at Saving Brothers. So we're going to uh, get on your coattails and learn a little bit about the world of podcasting. But I just think it'd be great if you wouldn't mind, kind of like a fireside chat today, Robbie, a couple of old boys getting together and uh, shooting the breeze and talking a little bit about, uh, firstly, who is Robbie Yates? So, brother, over to you. Tell us the Robbie Yates uh, story. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that. For I'll give you the 30,000-foot flyover, the, fa- the fast version, if you will. I was in the, in the Coast Guard here in the States. I was in the military. Thoroughly enjoyed. That right there pushed me beyond my limit and in a good way, as the old saying, you know, makes a man out of you. And that's something it definitely did because <laughs> it was, and I was, was, I'm so grateful for because everything that I've gone through since I look at that time in my experience of what I went through and think, okay, if I went through that, I was challenged and put in environments where I didn't know what I was going to be tested with, how I was going to be the outcome and really had to trust myself and to believe in myself and then in turn, it just helped out transcend everything else. So that was a remarkable experience. And rightfully so, because prior to, man, I was heading on the road to nowhere. I had to get out of the town I was in. So I had to go to the military, shake things up a little bit. Um, met my wife when I was in the service. And that's when I ended up getting out. But honestly, I, I signed up to be a lifer in the service. And I was going to make a full career out of it. I never will forget it was um, it was June tenth of two thousand and four, and we're out in the sea. We're in the middle of the Atlantic, and a buddy of mine goes, "Oh man, what what's today's date?" Like I I don't I'm no man. It's we're in the middle of the Atlantic. We're busting our tail. We're working. You know, every day, sun up, sundown. Sometimes at three in the morning. I said, "I have no idea." I said, "I just know we got port call coming up. I'm ready to get there. Just relax, you know, have a beer and chill out." And then. And he goes, oh, man, he goes, my daughter turned 10 yesterday, and I forgot to send her an email. And that was the only way we could communicate at sea is send emails. And in that moment, I thought, if I ever fortunate enough to find a woman that's going to tolerate me and put up with me, then you know what? I need to find a way to transition, get out of the service. And then a month later, lo and behold, I met my wife, and then I started transitioning out of the service. Isn't that amazing how just these yeah. things – it's like it was meant to be, just people coming to your world at different times. And and we've talked yeah. about our, our new friendship as well mm-hmm. in a similar vein that it just, in life, if you take action and, and have live, you live a life of purpose, it's amazing just how opportunities and life opens up to you if, if you're on that search. So oh, you're absolutely. in the U.S. Coast Guard. You've been in the service. How many years were you in the service? I was in six and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. It was an option when I first signed up. I had four years with a $4,000 sign-up bonus, which you would think, hey, that's a great deal, or six years, and you go in at a, at a, instead of a, the lowest pay grade, you get to go up a little bit higher pay grade. 
And I thought, you know, they're going to tax the heck out of that, that 4000 over four years. And, I mean, I'll be getting every year like a few hundred dollars. So I thought, eh, I'm, I'm signing up long haul, just do six years. And then, like I said, I met my wife, so I ended up getting out. Absolutely. <laughs> what What were the lessons from your service? So what was the... What would you what would you say would be your what we would say is your takeaways? What were the things that worked well for you? How long's your podcast? <laughs> for, well, for me, the takeaway it was for not not really the leadership, but really just camaraderie and trust some people that I didn't know, and from various backgrounds, various places, and then just having to rely on them not only with my life, but just trusting the job that we're going to do in hand that they're going to do something if they're given a task and then they're going to be able to essentially hold their weight as much as I think I'm holding my weight and and then the accountability aspect of it. And then also just knowing that no matter what environment and situation that you're put in, no matter how chaotic, how crazy it might be or seem at that moment to stay calm, level-headed, it allows you to think a little more clear. And then also that you're going to be tested through a lot of things you never experienced before and that you're going to be stronger on the other side of it. And so a lot of that that I took from there in the transition and that helped me create an app and a podcast and stuff that I've never thought my wildest dreams I would ever do. But because a lot of things that I went through when I was in the service, I can look back and say, you know what? I did that. And I could, I could do this too. And cause the ship that I was on when I was in the coast guard, it's this massive sailing vessel. It's the coast guard cutter Eagle the length of a football field, the widest part is 39 feet. I don't know how, like in meters, I don't know, what, I'm, but nonetheless, um, it's 39 feet. And I mean, you're literally sailing like it's the 1700s when you're out there. I mean, it's full wind power. You're out there going across the Atlantic. So when the storm comes up, you're having to take down the sails. I'm in the middle of the United States, essentially, out in the middle of the Atlantic, thrust out there in a whole nother environment that I knew nothing about. I had to learn quickly because not only other people's lives depended on it, but also had to train and teach the cadets from the, from the academy when they came on board because I was a permanent crew member. So I'm having to teach them something that I just learned yesterday and I'm having to help them out because it's going to help them, them and their life as well and the overall camaraderie of the, of the ship itself. And then just having patience, a lot of that too, of dealing with different people that I've never encountered before. So there's a lot that I take away and still draw from, obviously. Yeah, I would have thought that's actually really prepared you for life. But the interviews as well that you do with your app, which we'll talk about, sorry, with your podcast rather, but tolerance and getting to know people and accepting people's differences, maybe even culturally where they've grown up and, and the way that they were brought up and you're in an environment that you're effectively putting your life in those people's hands and, and vice versa. They're equally putting their life in your hands. So there's a real transference there of trust of people that you don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, spot on because, and I made some great friendships and people I still talk with since then, because it was, we're such a close knit group when you're out there to see them and you're out there, it's essentially your family out there on the ocean, but it was, you're right. I mean, I was dealing with people all over the U S and people that, it was just, to me, I found fascinating of just different cultures. And then from that, we went to different places in Europe and I enjoyed trying different food from different areas. And one place 
when we were in Scotland, you know, trying haggis. And some people think haggis is disgusting, but I loved it. I'm thinking I'm going to try the, I want to be immersed in there because it's something new. It's outside of my world that I knew at the time. And then, so that's another way that I was able to connect and then just find a common bond with different people. And then once you find that, to me, I find no matter where you are, and your own town, halfway across the you know the country you live in or the world, there's a common thread within everybody. Everybody wants to be connected in some way, somehow. Um, will it be out the gate, out the bat? You know, obviously not. But there's still a common thread there. And the biggest thing that I found, as long as you treat other people with respect and humility and dignity, and then and kind and be extremely kind to others, man, the world is is yours just to meet people. I mean, you don't know who you're going to meet. Like you and I, we we met, we've connected, and this has been, you know, an unbelievable friendship we kicked off. And I think it all back goes back to just being kind, respectful, and just being, you know, truthful and having dignity and respect for other people. Absolutely. And I also love what you did in Scotland with trying the haggis because what they did yeah. to me is you were stretching yourself. You were going outside your comfort zone. This was not part of your normal cuisine. And I love that. And that's, I think, a wonderful metaphor for life, that a bit like the, uh, the I've heard the analogy about a boat or a ship, don't stay in the harbour. A ship is meant to get out on the sea. And ultimately it's no different like with an aeroplane. I mean, an aeroplanes, they need to fly because that's obviously, if they don't fly, that's when you get mechanical problems. So I'm loving that you're putting yourself, I think it's a really great lesson for the listeners is, is have a go in life. Yeah, have a go. Don't have a life of regret where you think, "Geez, I would look back and I maybe I d- didn't feel confident enough to do stuff." It's like we were talking off air before, Robbie, about life throws you curve boys at balls, and it's how you decide to interpret that information. Absolutely, not make it right or wrong. They're just yeah. they're just choices, and so going for it. Now, you what we haven't touched on. Is you're a man, you're an educated man, you've got a, a bachelor's degree in nucle- nuclear medicine. Tell us about that because I reckon that would have been a really interesting journey in the uh, in the sciences. Yeah, yeah, it was to say the least. And, yeah, I was a corpsman when I was in the, cor- in the Coast Guard, and I, I really enjoyed that. It was in the clinic where I worked. That's another thing, too, the Coast Guard, because it's so small out of all the services in the U.S., I mean, it's it doesn't have, I think the saying is there's more police officers in New York City Police Department than there are active duty military for in the Coast Guard. And at the clinic where I was, I was, I worked as um, a medic, so I would see patients kind of like um, a medical assistant. I would also work in the lab. I would draw blood, IVs. I also worked in the x-ray department. I would take x-rays and I was also ordering supplies for 13 operational units, make sure they had their medical supplies before they went out to sea. Where if I was in the Navy, if I worked in the lab, I would have been just lab tech only. Or so I was, I was fortunate where I was able to see so much and do so much in a small setting. And so that led me to going back to really trusting myself and like, hey, well, I've done things I've never expected before. And then when I was applying for school, oddly enough, I was applying for the uh, radiography program to be an x-ray tech. And they told me I was rejected and I couldn't get into the program. And I was kind of laughed and I thought, I I do this every day. I'm literally had a doctor that I worked with sign off saying the amount of patients that I've seen, what I did to enhance the uh, imaging department and the the qualifications stuff that I did to to transition from the... um, 
going digital to the x-rays. And so a lot of things that I did to improve the, the department, but I just thought it was interesting. The school rejected me. And then I said, well, do you have another program that's, that's available? And they said, yeah, we have nuclear medicine. Would you be interested in that? And I said, and I kind of like I just said, I said, well, I've done a lot of things that I've never done before. I said, I, I'd imagine I can do that if you just give me the chance. I said, that's all I ask is for a chance. And they said, you know what? Hey, we'll put you in the program. I said, great. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't choose it. It kind of chose me, if you will. Awesome. I love that. And, and yeah. again, it's, you've taken opportunity where, as they say, one door closed, another one opens. So I, I love that. So you're, you're moving back. Kind of feel like we're going on your life's journey, and I'm enjoying this, I will tell you. <laughs> so you, you moved back to the Memphis area. You said you worked in sales and logistics. Tell us a little bit about that because, again, that's about getting along with people. Yeah, it is, and it's going to a field that I knew nothing about. I mean, once again, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but you got to get it or figure it out. And just, but I will say that if anybody's on the fence of doing anything or any hesitation, just go, just take that first step. You'll be so surprised at what you learn about yourself, the experience and what you gain from that. And then you could take that and unpackage it to the next and then roll to the next. So I'm all about, if you're someone you know, on the fence, definitely take that jump or that leap. But, um, but for me, when I got the logistics, it was, we moved back to the, uh, we're up in Boston and we moved to Memphis. I was working at another job and I needed to make more of an income and have uh, benefits for my family. We had a son, our daughter wasn't born yet. And so my wife was kind of not feeling herself that day, but then our friend of ours was having a baby shower and so she goes to the baby shower and she ran into this lady and she goes, Hey, they're hiring over at, um, the company with C. Robinson. And she said, well, that's logistics. And she goes, Robbie doesn't care. We need benefits. You know, we have a, at the time a three-year-old at the house and, and they said, well, he can apply. And I said, okay. So I knew the guy there and I applied and he shot me a message. He goes, man, I know your background at the time was all medical I mean, I had over six years, you know, medical and school, actually eight years combined. My resume, if you looked at it, it was like, why are you going logistics? And it didn't make sense. So I had to go in there and sell myself. Probably one of the hardest sales I had to do is sell to the managers that I could do the job. And I remember when I was in the interview, the man, one of the managers, that was a panel interview. And one of the managers goes, one thing that you've not asked that everybody has asked me since they sit in your seat, not that, oh man, what, what did I forget? <laughs> what did I miss? But he said that, no, you have not once asked me about training and how long it is and what are you going to have to do? And I just said, honestly, I, I expect there is training. I mean, everybody has training in some degree. I said, but if you don't, I said, that's fine. I said, if you want to throw me in the lions then, I said, let's do it. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I said, I'll figure it out. I'll come out scratching a claw. And I said, but, you know, um, I'm just willing to give you everything I have. I said, but if you have training, fantastic. If not, I said, that's cool too. And I think that helped me seal the deal. I have no idea. But it was a great company. I was there for five years, learned so much. Like I said, stress beyond um, limits and belief and it was, I enjoyed it. I had three of the top 10 accounts. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I was trying to move up within a company and they want to keep me within the box. And so then I ended up transitioning out from there, uh, going into another field I knew not, nothing about. And I went into uh, insurance and did that for a little while. Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, 
both those areas require your ability to communicate and solve problems and, and identify sometimes for people that there is a problem. And I think that's sometimes one of the greatest challenges with people is, is not being in touch with where they're at. And it's going to lead me to a question because I, I want to talk about your app and I want to talk about your show, which is where the fortune is. Sure. But as you know, this is a podcast around men's health and saving brothers. Yeah. And we talked again off air, Robbie, about your own journey where you were basically being a couch potato and really not acknowledging some challenges with your own life and your own health. And I'd love it if you could uh, be kind enough to share with the listeners a little around that story. Yeah, sure. Actually, when I went to the logistics companies, when it kind of started, I was, I mean, that's a, it's a, a grind because you're on the phone nonstop all day. You're a broker. I dealt with carriers and trucking companies and we don't, we didn't have, we don't have freight. So we have customers. So then I would contact the carrier to go move a freight from point A to point B. And so it was just 630 in the morning to sometimes 630 in the evening, just 12 hours straight through. And then I would come home. Sometimes it wasn't that much of a grind. Sometimes we're off at four or five, but nonetheless, I get home completely exhausted, just spent. I would, like I said, at the time my son was three, if not four, and our daughter wasn't born yet. Um, but shortly after she was born, so I had a five-year-old and you know a one-year-old running the house, or so a little younger than one-year-old. And it took everything in me to get off the couch just to lay on the floor and play with them. And I wanted to sleep. I wanted to just sit there, not do anything. My temper got short. My drinking got honestly got a little heavy and I just was kind of in this. I was telling myself, I'm not depressed. I, you can get out of this. You're fine. And my wife was saying, you ought to go to the doctor. And I was, I thought I was, I'm fine. I don't need to go. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, being stubborn and being macho and trying to think, Hey, you know, like we talked about before, just put some dirt on it. I can keep going. And I just felt like I was in a fog in this haze and I just didn't feel myself. I knew eventually, finally, I just had that self-talk and I thought, okay, you're, something is off. Like I'm not even, I'm present, but I'm not, I was more of a shell of myself. And I was, I remember I was sitting at dinner and I was there, but I wasn't present and I wasn't engaged. And I was just kind of in a fog and wanting to sleep. And it was, it I, honestly, it took every ounce of energy just to, just to function. And I thought, okay, I got to check this out. <clears throat> Go to the doctor and lo and behold, have Hashimoto's and it's actually dealing with the thyroid. And so <laughs> I thought something so small, so small and insignificant, which you think is insignificant, actually huge. And my levels were off. And I thought, man, I'm so glad I went to the doctor. Now I go every year to get my labs and everything checked because I want to make sure everything else is taken care of. And so, yeah, once I got, you know, the proper medicine, then everything kind of got balanced and I've never felt a few years now, more, you know, a lot better energized. And so if anybody's feeling funky and they, they just know they're not themselves and something's quite not right, it can't hurt. Let them, if you're, let them take some blood. And then look, I was a corpsman in the Coast Guard. So I dealt with these big dudes that would pass out when, as soon as they saw a needle, the biggest dudes would pass out. So I would like, if you, if that's you, it is totally okay. Just tell them they'll take you to a room. They'll lie you down. You'll just be laid on the gurney or stretcher. You'll be fine. They'll take the blood and you'll wake up and you won't even know any difference. And then your life will be forever changed. I think that's, thank you for sharing that because I think one yeah. of the great challenges with us as brothers, as men is that we don't 
generally want to go to a doctor. It's not like I'm thinking, <laughs> hey, I'm excited, today's the day, I'm off to see the doctor. But we, like, we've used this uh, analogy, or rather you've shared it with me before, which is, hey, you know what, just I'll rub a little bit of dirt on that wound and I'll just get on with it and get going. It's like, yeah, man, it'll be fine. And we are, as men around the world, I think it's quite a universal thing, Robbie, that we just, this machoism, this sense of, no, I'll just get, get on with it and I won't worry about it. And I've yeah. used the analogy of the car with the engine, that you've got to look after the engine. It's You can have a beautiful polished car and it's a Corvette or whatever and it just looks a million dollars, but if you're not looking after the engine, and I, I've told you before about a story where I had a beautiful yeah. sports yeah. car and uh, I wasn't putting oil in it and there was an oil leak and in the end I ended up seizing the engine. So I basically blew up the engine, had to get yeah. a new engine. And it was like... Well, Phil, if had I just put a little bit of oil in it, been attentive, all these challenges of all and the expense. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's just about you had, you use the word present. And I remember I had a boss that I used to work with, uh, and he said, Phil, wherever you are, be there. Yeah, and I thought, isn't that amazing? It's often it's like when you, you we go on a holiday and we're stressed about work and we're, we're thinking about our work, which is really the time we should be <laughs> engaged with our, where we are, with our friends, with our family. So mm-hmm. that's absolutely spot on. I'm so glad you've shared that. We, we've talked about even in, in your church where you, you've said about men, once again, just not getting out and talking about stuff. Give us some some of your experiences around that as well. Yeah, sure. We tried to get some of the men plugged in and, and in a positive way and come to find out that as we get going along with life and as much as we, man, we put stress on ourselves to be the breadwinner, to to get out there, to be the forefront, to be the brave one, you know, we don't cry. We hold everything in. We got to keep going, keep marching, keep, you know, going, you know, plugging along, make sure we succeed. Everybody's taken care of. But sometimes we do, we're taking care of everybody else in the family. We're not really taking care of ourselves. And then on top of that, we get, we go to, we go to work, we come home, work, home, weekend. It's take care of the yard. I got to go outside. I got to fix the house. There's things we got to do around the house, the to-do list, whatever it is. But we oftentimes forget to just kind of, Say, you know what? I want to get connected, see a friend, call a brother up or whatever the case may be. But because of that constant cycle, we end up getting isolated. And then that's where the real detriment kicks in because then you're isolated. You have addiction to whatever that might be. It could be drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever. I'm not saying a lot of the guys at church are dealing with that, but there's things that just talking to guys in general that – and we, I met with some of them over coffee and they were saying, and it's all the common stuff of, you know, I never take time for myself. I never take time to have a coffee. You know, I have a lot of anxiety because of ABC or, you know, my wife is doing, you know, certain things. How do I combat this or what do I do? And there's a lot of things they want to keep things in house, rightfully so, because you never know how talking about things are going to be perceived. But talking about it actually helps heal that wound and heal yourself and then relieve that pressure that the burden that we put on us and we carry this, you know, heavy weight around. So what we're doing is we'll do coffee. Sometimes we'll do stuff at the church, like a big cookout or get together, just a way for guys just to kind of get together, talk just to say, Hey, 
you know, I love what you're saying. I've been using it all the time now. Hey, you know, how's your day out of 10? <laughs> I love that. I'm, I would say that. I say it to my son now. He's almost 13. And he goes, hey, I like that a lot. So I say it to him every day. And so it's just been a lot of fun because you just find out what's going on with men. Just kind of just being there, lending an ear when you can. And then if they need help or if they need something moved, or you just never know when somebody's going to need something. And that's just the benefit of it and the beauty of it. So we're just trying to do that just to be a resource for them. Yeah, I think that's awesome that you're using that. And of course, as I've just put the ticker tape up there across the bottom of the screen, but it's, hey, brother, how's your day going out of 10? And, and yeah. I think you're <laughs> right. When us as brothers, there is some societal expectation that we are traditionally the hunter. So we've got to go out and, and it's not in any way downplaying the valuable contribution that women make financially as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I think we feel that pressure from being young boys to, hey, what do you do? You know, that question when you first meet a boy, so what do you do? You know, and, and it's like you then ask yourself, do I measure up? Or what does he think of what I just said? So whether you say, hey, I'm in the Coast Guard, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an insurance salesman, I'm a street sweeper, and then we look for the feedback. How did they interpret what it is that I just said? And that itself produces cortisol and you're spot on and I'm loving what you're doing where you're taking men for coffee because women are great at unpacking their feelings and having discussions Mm. but we don't take time out for ourselves we don't sit in and be present and actually enjoy our own company and with us Robbie with our Keep Five Alive program here, so I'm getting on my screen, was <laughs> number one on the Keep Thanks, brother. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> number one for us at Saving Brothers is self-care and self-awareness. And so we actually say start out your day thinking, how do you feel about you today out of 10? Yeah. Where are you at in your mindset? And we're going to have days where we're flying. I have days where brothers around the world, Robbie, have said, oh, man, I'm a 9.9. I'm, I'm an 11. <laughs> but then I've had other brothers say to me, man, I'm a 1, I'm a 3. Yeah. And that's okay. And what I wanted to get across as part of this conversation is that as brothers, all we need to be able to do is just to say, well, brother, what's going on for you? We, are, we think we need to solve everybody's problem. We're fixers. You know, we have to fix stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you just attentively listen and just say, well, hey, brother, what's going on for you? And give him an opportunity to put the load down and share that it's okay, as a friend of mine says, it's okay to not be okay. So yeah, absolutely. That's really important. And you're right. Brothers, traditionally, when things aren't quite going right, we sort of retreat to the back of the cave. We become mm-hmm. quite insular. And I think yep. what you're doing is you're encouraging men to, to acknowledge that it's okay not to be okay and to discuss what's going on. Don't have to solve his issues, but just attentively listen, Robbie. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, it's just really just being there and just that, just listening because there are times where, and the thing is, it's not like we're always talking about feelings or, you know, or and just, but it's really just kind of just talking about, just it's just like you and I, man, just having a conversation and then something may pop up. And then like I had some guys who were actually um, hanging out. And then I thought these two guys were absolutely crushing it. And they are like if on the outside you look at, it, they are. And then a couple of them go, man, I, I'm hardly sleeping. I'm like, how are you not sleeping? Like you were, man, you were 
somebody would look at like an outside looking in and think, man, you were just smashing it on all fronts on life, you know, and then to find out that, wow, this guy's having trouble sleeping. So then it's just like, well, man, why is that? And then it's not necessarily sleep apnea. Then this thing, you know, it's, he has anxiety for whatever reason and kind of find out he's putting more pressure on himself than he even needs to. And then sometimes just kind of talking through that of, you know, of like, for me, I'll, I'll meditate and sometimes I'll, you know, I meditate scripture and I'll, I'll exercise. And then if I don't have, I know you have your five alive for me, I call it my four pillars, my four pillars of, 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 um, of F, if you will, the four pillars of F for me, it's, it's faith, friendship, family, and fitness. So if I don't have one of those in balance or whatever, then the table is going to wobble. And then it's, it's this thing, you know, I, I got to feel like I got to build one of those back up. So if I have, not if I'm not in touch and seeing some friends for a little bit, then I can tell, okay, you know what? I got to get out just to get in touch, just have some conversations about nothing, you know, <laughs> or something, who knows, <laughs> who knows what's going to go. It doesn't have to be forceful or, you know, if I, if I feel like my faith is waning, then, you know, okay, I got to you know, lean back into faith or, and it's a constant balance. It's a seesaw, you know, it's, I don't crush it every day, all day on all fronts. But if I keep that in the forefront of my right, my mind and balance around between it, then it helps me do that rotation through and have those conversations with men and just make it that much, you know, easier of a flow, if you will. I love that you mentioned the word sleep and sleep is one of the big pillars <laughs> yeah. here at Saving Brothers because quite often men will say, you know, I just lie there awake at night or I toss and I turn whether or not they have sleep apnea or otherwise. But the fact is we need sleep and we what we're learning about sleep is that that is so important because the toxins that are in your brain are washed out during sleep. And it's, and a lot of brothers around the world are not aware that sleep or poor sleep, lack of sleep, is linked to cardiac disease, Alzheimer's disease and a number of, and, and weight. So guys quite often who don't sleep well can be overweight. So we are doing a lot of work around these things around sleep in fact, we're working with the, because of your background in, in Coast Guard, the Royal Australian Navy dietitian, Geraldine Georgiou, is actually part of the team here at Saving Brothers. So we're about to release sleep diet and sleep and gut health. So absolutely love that uh, you, you brought that up and really gave me an opportunity to, to talk about <laughs> I, I myself, Robbie, have laid there at night, and I bet I'm not alone that there'll be millions of men around the world that, you're right, on the outside we are great at masking things, almost like we're actors. So we'll have a <laughs> yeah. we'll have the the armour on that we're day-to-day, you know, as you say, crushing it. And people go, I thought he was just doing so well, but he may be the guy that's at greatest risk because he's putting himself under such great pressure, creating so much cortisol in his body that's putting his heart under stress. And, it's, I mean, I, probably, I reckon you'd be no different than me that we've laid a, a, in bed at night, our beautiful partner, say, is asleep, and we're just wide awake thinking, how am I going to make the bills or just worrying about stuff. It's, it's interesting because the past few nights I've slept amazing. Last night I went to sleep about 9 o'clock. I'd probably say probably 9.30. It was. I remember I looked at my phone and it was two nineteen. I was wide awake. My mind started clicking. What I got to do today? And it's, and I thought I just went downstairs. I just I just unplugged. I started just getting my mind right and then kind of uh, meditating. I was even watching some videos on YouTube about some mental stuff. Just kind of get my mind frame right. And then man, 
everything that encountered throughout the rest of this day, I could have looked at it as absolute chaos, but it actually took, I took it in stride and I thought, Hey, like it's out. A lot of things are, you're in your control and some things are out of your control and you know, you can only do so much. And like you said before, we want to fix everything. We can't, we just, we, we just can't do it. So, but man, I've, I, I still feel great. I mean, refreshed. I will sleep good tonight. I guarantee that. But I know why I, I woke up that way because I went, I didn't clear my mind enough before I went to sleep. And so I, I carried over yesterday into today. And so, you know, it's just a constant work in progress. I think we always have to do that, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I, we've actually got a book coming out at Saving Brothers. One of our sleep coaches, uh, her name's Catherine Nixon. I called her, her nickname is for me is the Sleep Whisperer. She's <laughs> for Saving Brothers. So that'll be available in probably around the next two weeks, which is great. It'll be a free book. But we want yeah. men to be able to come to the website, savingbrothers.com, and be able to access great materials like that. So we want to be able to serve and help brothers around the world. Robbie, what I'd love to touch on is your app and your show, Where the Fortune Is. So briefly share about uh, Follow, your your co-founder of Follow App, and then let's chat about uh, Where the Fortune Is. Sure. Follow App, it, man, it sparked when I was out and just trying to network and meet people. And I sometimes I'd walk into a room and I would see people and I didn't know anybody. So I'd either go for the food or the drinks or that. I would see a familiar face and I realized I spent so much time talking to people that I knew that I didn't meet anybody new. And I would leave an event feeling like a waste of time and money that I didn't do anything for my business. And so I, I was trying to find new ways to improve upon what I was doing. So then I tried to find a tool really out there to help me out. And there really wasn't. And did what I was looking for. So I thought, well, let's see if we can't create this thing. <laughs> so I don't code. So then it just came through networking and talking to the right people and getting people in place to uh, make things happen. As I'm sure you can easily relate for everything that you're doing and, you know, creating an app and whatnot. So, um, and then, you know, forming partnerships and it's been absolute blast exploring and learning and trying to f- figure out how we can improve upon um, getting people connected. So what it does, it actually just connects people to frequently missed opportunities to find that next referral partner or client during an event. And we get so accustomed to seeing the same face and or talking to the same people, or we get trapped to talking to people like myself that are long-winded. So <laughs> they're like, man, we just got to be, you know, be quiet, right? And shut up. So it, it makes it easier for them to not miss those opportunities. So before somebody would may get four or five business cards, now they get a chance of collecting 15 to 20, if not 50. It depends on how many people are in the room and make it that much easier. And then after that, follow up with them, reach out. And so the podcast, Where the Fortune Is, ties into the name of the app. So the saying, your fortune is in the follow up. Therefore, your fortune is in the follow app. And then, so the podcast is where the fortune is. And in that, the podcast, we dive in and talk to people like yourself and other individuals where on the podcast of people that are the trials, trials, and we're like tribulations and innovations they've done within their industry and to, to, you know, be where they are and like, how do they get to where they are and like what led them? Everybody's got a, a fascinating story. You know, how do they get there? And when I saw you know, like, your blurb and stuff on LinkedIn. I thought, well, I got to talk to this guy. I want to know what he's doing because I know what I'm doing here in the States on a small scale versus what you're doing on the global scale, which is amazing. 
And through that, I've met some remarkable people all over the globe. And I mean, just true powerhouses in their own right and what they're doing and innovation within their, their business. And um, so I'm really just proud of the people and fortunate and blessed to have the people that I've, I've had on the show. I, I can't say enough about it. So just again, just for the listeners, yeah, where do they find it so they can follow? Oh, well, the the podcast is where the fortune is. And you can see that you can find that on where the fortune is.com. And also uh, really any platform that you listen to your normal podcast or favorite podcast, you can find it there as well. And again, with the app, they can uh, the just app. go to Apple store and, and, or, or Google and download it. Um, they can. Yeah. If they're in the States and the reason why it's just right now in the States is because uh, you can also see uh, on the website, um, the follow app.co, but the, Right now, the reason why we're just in the states because we're really fine tuning and perfecting where we are um, in my in our backyard, and we've just had a, like a really I say major development in the past two months, and really benefit. And so I'm excited to unveil that here in the coming months. Actually, the next two months, what we just discovered. So I'm excited for that. And once we get a good blueprint, then we're going to start going across the nation, and then from that, then we'll be going the globe. So we'll be in Australia soon. How soon that is, I don't know, probably a year out, honestly. Um, I don't want to jump too soon. Just I want to make sure that by the time people are using it in Australia, that the fact that it's working in and out, everything that we have unpackaged, that they'll be able to really grab hold. So we'll see. Yeah, what I love it. yeah. Well, <laughs> and I love it. You're absolutely right. We can go to these networking events. And isn't it funny how it's safety, I think, often, oh, there's, there's Robbie, I'll go over and say g'day. <laughs> And we and already you're my buddy, you're my contact. So we're not necessarily going to really grow ourselves or our network or our business opportunity. So I think uh, hats off to you. Now, Robbie, I wanted to touch on something that's really close to your heart in terms of the things that you're doing. You're on the board of Saving Lost Kids Restoration Project. As a father of two boys, my boys are 21 and 19, and I've got a lot of friends with younger kids, older kids. Tell us, tell the brothers around the world about that project? Sure. That actually came about through a pastor that I met, Brian Callies. And honestly, the stuff that I'm doing with the app and the podcast, it's bigger than me. And to for us to give back, I man, divine intervention. I met Brian Callies as a pastor. He started Saving Lost Kids and been running for several years now. And with Saving Lost Kids, what they do, they go right now, they're going out and they rescue children that have been exploited and missing through sex trafficking. And it's horrific. I have two children under your older, my, or a teenager or almost 13 and eight, my little girl's eight. And I look at her and I'm thinking, I mean, so somebody look at her as a price tag and could take her and then sell her. It just, it, it sickens me. So I thought, how can I be involved? What can I do? How can we help out? And so Brian, what he does, he does the awful stuff where he does rescue these girls, but then he also does prevention and awareness around the community. And then, but he realized that, for example, one girl, but out of several, but one girl in particular, he actually rescued her three times. And you're thinking, man, how do you rescue somebody three times? Sometimes we don't rescue them. I mean, but we're fortunate to rescue the same girl. And Brian was thinking, I can't continue to take these girls and put them back in the same environment where they came from and then they get picked up again and it's rinse and repeat. So the restoration project, we're working on building right now the largest in the U.S. and we're partnering with some other organizations 
to build a safe haven for these girls. So that way we'll rescue them. We can bring them to the safe haven, to the restoration, to the um, sanctuary, if you will. And then, so that way they'll get an education. We have some people that are going to be some volunteer nurses. So they get the medical treatment, the psychological treatment they need. It really prepare them to be bright, young, successful women in life. And so we'll, because a lot of places here will work with children from 19 and above. Nobody's really working with the youth. There are different organizations work with youth, but nobody's working with the sex traffic, unfortunately. So Brian took it upon himself to work with these children. And so we're working on that, forming a lot of partnerships, doing a bunch of networking. And it's really going to be, I'm just honored to be a part of it, but to sit on there to figure out what we're doing, the direction we're heading, because we need to, you know, these, these are future business owners, leaders, you know, not only just the U.S., but around the world. They could move to Australia, move to any country and create a business or have a company here, but have an office in, you know, some other country in the world and create opportunity in life and, and you know, for other people globally. So there's that's what just blows my mind is the fact that people rob the innocence of these youth and anything we could do to help them out to get them a better life and to propel the, to propel them, you know, for success, man, sign me up. What can we do? Absolutely. And is there a website? How do people support this? Where, where do you need support? Is it, is it financial support? Is it time? What can people do to make a difference for these young ladies that are really, as you absolutely said, they've had their innocence taken away from them? Yeah, absolutely. For what's for, um, I appreciate that. The website is savinglostkids.org and org at the end and i realized i didn't realize till i getting involved with this that a one-time donation is great but really helps for going to when we go to get grants and stuff within the states and, and receive some additional funding that when we have monthly donors it can be five dollars ten dollars whatever somebody's comfortable with we don't ask people to you know hurt themselves financially so I mean, there's some people that are donating three hundred dollars a month, or some people are doing five dollars a month. Whatever people are comfortable with, we just say if you can donate, fantastic. But if you can be a monthly donor, then that way it allows us to go back to other stakeholders and other people that want to uh, invest to in the project and say, hey, you know what? We have let's just for simplicity's sake, we have a hundred people donating every month. Then they can look at that and go, wow, they've they've got a hundred people committed to this every month to donate. Now, if it's five bucks, that's fine. Like I said, we have more than that, but the more we can get, if we get to a thousand people or 10,000 people, that's even better because they go, well, they have 10,000 people every month donating money to this unbelievable cause and it allows us to get additional funding to build, like I said, the largest safe haven for these girls. Well, I think you and I are going to have to talk about this one offline because I I'm certainly think that as a father and uh, a parent, and, uh, and I've got a lot of buddies that have got uh, daughters in their lives. I just can't think of anything so sad, absolutely so sad and so unfair. Oh, yeah, but, you're, yeah you're right. It's awful. Yep. So, um, Robbie, what is what do you think your purpose is? It's a big question, I know, because <laughs> I think a lot of people often look at themselves and I think, I don't know why I'm here. But what would you say for Robbie Yates, your purpose on this journey as a man is? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I was talking to my, yeah, it is. I was talking to my son about this recently and he actually asked me the same thing. And I said, you know, I, I, 
I don't, I don't say I don't know. I feel like I know. <laughs> I'll say that. And it really is. I have a lot of empathy for a lot of people and I always find myself really want to, to help out and just, so for me, I feel like my purpose looking at ever the endeavors that I'm involved with and it's really just helping out and giving back. And what can I do to, to do that? So I feel like my purpose is, is giving back how that's going to look. You know, if it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be monetarily, it could be time, could be commitment, just, you know, Sometimes a food drive, I try to help out, do a food drive, donate food, you know, just be in there, passing food out. So whatever, I, just in some way, in some fashion to help out or being there for a brother, listening to him, just, you know, having a shoulder or whatever, an ear for that as well. Anything I could do in that regard. So I would say for me, the purpose would be just um, get connected and, and help out. I absolutely think you're doing an incredible job and with your show as well with Where the Fortune is, to be streaming that to 28 countries, you're making it a massive impact. And I think <laughs> with your app, of course, with follow-up will be the same, but particularly with Saving Lost Kids Restoration Project. I mean, that's just that's amazing. So I think it's a pretty good note to finish up on today here at the <laughs> Saving Brothers Podcast, Robbie. I mean, I... I'm in awe, seriously, man. I'm just like, I, I thank you for for the man that you are and you should be really proud of what you're doing and, and the way you're serving others. And I think it's, it's probably a great way, particularly when men are feeling a little bit off. I, I often say, brother, invest in others. When mm. You feel good about yourself when you're helping and giving and helping other people. And Tony Robbins used the example of Mother Teresa ministering to people in the squalors of Calcutta, but she felt good about herself for her service. And I always encourage brothers that get outside of your own head and when you start to help other people, you'll feel better about yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for – even though, yeah, I'm on the podcast and I feel like I'm talking a lot about what I do, but I will say that I'm the worst at saying – boasting about what I do because I'm on here really to give recognition and praise to other things and other aspects. So it's uh, it's a fine line because I don't want attention on me, but as long as there's, I can shed light on something else or somebody else, <laughs> I'd rather do that, you know? <laughs> well, I think you're doing that, an admirable job with that, Robbie. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Saving Brothers podcast all the way down under and you being there in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Elvis country. It's funny, you know, it's just bizarre of the timing of things because you talk about children and children at risk. A, a, a great film that's been on many times was played again last night, my time, was The Blind Side. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's just one of those great films and it really does highlight some of the challenges when kids get cut a break and kids don't get cut a break. And, yeah, man, I'm just really, really proud to have you on the Saving Brothers podcast and I'm going to make sure we bring you back. So, Robbie, have an awesome day, brother, and uh, take care of yourself. Friends, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting today with Robbie Yates from Memphis, Tennessee. And, Robbie, we'll catch up again soon, brother. Take care of yourself. Yeah, thank you for the time and the opportunity. Appreciate it. Awesome, brother. Catch you. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. This has been... A Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.